Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This is the word of God. It's good to see you guys. Um, so I spent the first little chunk of my life in Atlanta, Georgia, fourth grade. I moved and started fourth grade in Clearwater, Florida. And I graduated in 2000 and went to Florida State University. And so my freshman year, FSU fan. Who, who where, who? We need to hang out. It's, okay, Is it, I know Michael Keeler. I know if it's not Mike, then, then let's talk. Um, and, uh, and Chrissy Wilfrith, there's like, you know, if there's maybe five of us in Cape, we can watch the Seminoles um, lose together. And hopefully, well, <laughs> they're doing better. They're getting, okay, sorry, back sermon. Um, and um, I was, so I started in 2000 at Florida State in Tallahassee, Florida. And in the year 2000, if you don't know, there was this thing that happened at the end of 2000. It was the presidential election um, that got weird. Do y'all remember this? Everything came down to the state of Florida. Um, and you know things are going to go badly when Florida is in the headline of anything, right? Like this, you know, it's, um, we are, uh, I, when I lived in Florida, I thought all the crazy news was just local news and you move everywhere else and they're still talking about how nuts Florida is, you know, and you're like, oh, that's the whole country thinks we're crazy. And um, and so it was, it was a big deal. And I was in Tallahassee, which was the center of all of the attention. And so the city just swelled with thousands and thousands of people that moved in. I, I literally think every news station in the world sent a news crew to Tallahassee, Florida. Um, somehow they got like a news truck. I knew people that were violating dorm policy and renting out their dorm rooms to news anchors. Um, to sleep because the hotels were full. Um, and, and so it, the whole city had this weird, intense, um, kind of goofy vibe that was going on for a while while the whole world was focused. We would get on international television for fun. We would like uh, send people with a cell phone down to the Capitol and we'd be watching whatever, you know, NBC or, or what, you know, what, pick your news station. And um, we'd be like, okay, See the lady in the purple dress, get behind her and jump up and down. And you'd see your friends acting like idiots on TV. And um, I mean, like, it was, it was so much fun. And, uh, and I had these two buddies. Do you ever have those guys that, like, normal people take fun this far, and then there's that friend? 
you know, I had these two friends, John Morales and Alec Tieferteller, that's his actual last name, and they were film students and nuts and so much fun, and you might get arrested if you hung out with them too much. And, um, and they, for fun, started going to marches, you know, there were all these marches, and they would just take them over. They would pronounce themselves in charge of the march, and like there was this big one that they filmed, it was going from the Florida Supreme Court to the steps of the Capitol or something like that, and they got in, they walk up to the front of the march, you know, I don't know, hundreds of people, thousands of people, and they start chanting things that don't make sense. <laughs> and have on, on film, all of these people, you know, they would start going like, uh, help is on the way, help is on the way, help is on the and, way. And all these people like, help is on the way, help is on the way. And, and no one knows why. Um, and uh, it was just nuts. Um, it was the campus kind of shut down. Anyway, have you ever been in a situation where there's this like intensity that picks up with a crowd and you know how well people keep their, um, their rationality in those moments? Have you ever heard the phrase, none of us is as dumb as all of us? <laughs> you know, and uh, maybe you're thinking, I thought that was the Easter egg hunt, Brett. Um, you know, like thousand kids running around screaming. It was so much fun. And uh, if, you, if you've ever been in one of those situations, it's, it's, there's sort of an adrenaline to it. And there's also this sense of like, this could come off the rails, you know, at any moment. And in Jerusalem, where, where I want to pick up the story today, there is quite the situation going on. Where uh, they are celebrating Passover, which um, means this major deal... And so somewhere between 10% and 50% of the entire country's population of Israel comes to Jerusalem. The population doesn't just double. It doesn't just quadruple. The historians at the time do not agree on how many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people come to Jerusalem and just pack the streets. So think about all of the intensity of that and all of the you know, the, the buying and the arguing and the waiting in lines and all of this. And on top of that, they're celebrating Passover, which is the celebration of God rescuing people from foreign oppressors to leave and start a new covenant with him um, under Moses in the Exodus. And so there's this national fervor and mixed with this religious fervor. And it, there's kind of, a, kind of that whole soup going on, and in the middle of them celebrating being rescued from a foreign oppressor is them being ruled by a foreign oppressor at the moment named Rome. And Rome's major concern is that things don't get out of hand. Now, I'm guessing you know how, um, you know, big, uh, you know, empires handle keeping everyone under control. In the year 4 BC, so within memory of this event, Passover got out of control, and Herod the Great's son, a puppet for Rome, he ordered that 3,000 Jews die at Passover in the streets to put down a riot. So that is floating in the air. There are people in this crowd that have family members that died in that event. So you can guess Rome has ramped up security. Everyone's a little on edge. They've probably grabbed a few criminals and stuck them on a cross around town so that everybody can, like, remember who's in charge, you know? 
And, and the, the, I mean, it must have been thick, the tension. And on, on top of that, there's this backwoods, no-name rabbi that used to be a carpenter in Nazareth, like nowhere Nazareth, that has started to gain some popularity. And things have really picked up when he seems to have raised someone from the dead a few days or weeks before, a man named Lazarus. And people are starting to talk about Jesus. And th this campaign is running without him. Like, he's not even involved. They, they, are, they are campaigning for him. And, and, and the word Messiah has started to leak out. This awaited king that was going to come and set them free. And so that must have picked up quite the steam as well. You can guarantee that every Roman soldier in town was tuned into Jesus' name at this point. And what's going to happen when he shows up? That kind of intensity running around? I mean, is your blood pressure up just a little bit thinking about it? And in that space, I want to I wanna look at, at the passage that is most often looked at the week before Easter. In, uh, in chapter 12 of John, this is talked about in, in every um, one of the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, I want to look at John's today. It says, the next day, the great crowd had come for the festival, had heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they didn't read about this on Instagram. They didn't see it on, uh, you know, on Twitter or whatever. This is, this is word of mouth kind of like fervor, and people have started whispering about Jesus and that he is coming. It says they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Check this out. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, who do you think that last line triggered? Rome is on high alert for someone who thinks that they are the king, right? And, and here it says they grab, they grab palm branches, which is, which is an interesting take, um, because what, what's going on, a, a few um, generations before when the Jews were fighting off the Greeks under Alexander the Great in the, in the Seleucian Wars, um, the Maccabees had this major victory against the Greeks and how they celebrated that victory is they grabbed palm branches and waved them in the air to welcome in the military. So you can see this is like, woohoo. And Jesus is walking toward a guy named Pontius Pilate who's running Jerusalem. And Pilate is an interesting fella. Um, he, you know, he, he's been given a tough job. In all of the empire, he is supposed to keep the Jewish people under control. I don't know if you know much about Jewish fervor, but being under control is not what they have been known for in history. And he has gone to great lengths and to great violence to keep the Jewish people uh, oppressed and down. And two times, Caesar himself has warned Pontius Pilate to calm down a little bit. Can we just talk about this? When Caesar has to tell you to calm down, you have really pushed the limit. And they're in this moment, military victory, 
the king of Israel is coming to us. And Jesus sees it all. Hundreds of thousands of people, at least tens of thousands of people are shouting his name, calling him the king. How do you respond? And they've picked the right person. You know, we believe Jesus is the king. We believe they picked the right person, but do they understand him? Do they, do they understand his heart and what he sees his mission as and how he wants to live it out? They are ready for someone to lead a military victory in that moment that will throw Rome out and set them up. I mean, how many times did the disciples talk like this and Jesus had to correct them? And Jesus, in front of all the people, he does something interesting to get their attention. Verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. So in that moment, major intensity, people shouting your name, screaming your name, ready for you to set them free. And what does Jesus do? He grabs a donkey. A donkey. Have you ever been impressed watching someone on a donkey? <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> what, what is a conquering king supposed to ride? A horse, a stallion, yes. The biggest, baddest one they can find, right? I mean, here's, this is a tapestry from, um, from the Middle Ages, uh, you know, showing warriors on horses. They were instruments of war. They were the tanks of the day. They were big. They were strong. They were uh, ferocious. Um, here in Forest Park is uh, St. Louis, um, San Louis, and uh, in, um, the statue in St. Louis. Have you guys seen this one? Right? I mean, he just looks awesome. I mean, who wouldn't want to follow that guy? Right? Out in front of the art museum, he's majestic. Even in American history, we have our own mythology and imagery around, around how cool it is to ride a horse. Not this exact image, but you could take that image and sell Marlboro cigarettes for like generations, right? I mean, this is, this is a, big, a big deal. You know, Clint Eastwood riding in on a horse, that is a bad dude. You know it. And, and that would have been the expected imagery of someone coming into town to take on Rome. Let's find a symbol of strength and power, and Jesus gets a donkey. On purpose, he looked like that. He looked like that. You know, here, here's, here's a lady picking up some groceries, uh, riding into town. On, on her donkey? Or what, what about this guy? I don't know where he is, but he is not happy. His wife just took that picture of him. Like, great, this is going to go. And, and Jesus picks a donkey, not a symbol of, of, of war and victory and power, even though donkeys are, can be incredibly strong. He picks something lowly, short, farm equipment. Why? What's going on? In, in Matthew, it says that Jesus sent them to go get both a donkey and her colt. 
and her colt. So they brought Jesus mama donkey and baby donkey. I don't have any evidence to back this up, but I just picture Jesus sat on baby donkey. Like he's riding sidecar, you know, like those motorcycles where your knees are up to your chin. And people must have been slightly confused. Waving branches, where is he? Where's the conquering? That guy? This guy? Everybody's been so pumped about him. He looks kind of dumb. Riding in on a donkey. Jesus knows exactly um, what he's doing. In, in, uh, in Zechariah, he's, he's choosing uh, a passage um, from the prophet's um, to illustrate his point. Uh, and, and, you know, this is a day, he, there's no loudspeakers, right? There's, there's tens of thousands of people shouting your name, and, and there's this uh, ruckus going on. You can't speak over them. So how are you going to communicate? You have to communicate through a symbol because no one's listening. You have to communicate through a symbol. So, so Ze- Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Everyone's on board with that part. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt. That's the baby donkey, the foal of a donkey. And I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. That's one of the tribes of of Israel. I will take away the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will extend, his rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river, that's, that's the Euphrates in the east, to the ends of the earth. That Jesus is communicating with the people and he says, yes, I am the king. You're right about that part. You're right about, you're right about the victory part. But you're wrong about everything else. Because what he has come to do is not to bring chariots to Jerusalem, not to bring war horses to Jerusalem, not to bring the bow and the arrow to Jerusalem, but to take away those things, to break the bow And that that is what peace looks like in his mind. Part of what is hanging in the back of the conversation is uh, Rome and really how all empire has worked in most of human civilization. But Rome personified it in a way that really no one else has. They they ruled um, everything from India to England with what's called the Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace. And Roman peace, their idea of Pax was when you have subdued your enemies to the point that they cannot fight back, you will have peace. You know, I'm guessing that only felt like peace for a couple of people. Not for the rest of the world. And Jesus says, I have come to bring peace that looks totally different. See, Rome makes peace with chariots and war horses and the bow and the arrow and the sword and the cross. That's how they make peace. Jesus shows up and he says, I am going to make peace by making all of those things obsolete. Obsolete. See, the people are trapped 
in the dichotomy that humanity is always seeming to be trapped in, that it's us or them. And, and they have bought the narrative of peace comes through victory and domination. And they've said, it's our turn to make peace by dominating our enemy. And they imagine that Jesus is on board with them to help them with that. And so they've got the right man. But they do not understand his heart or his ways or his character. Ever since the garden, when we rejected God's order, people have been living this out. I live it out on a regular basis, and I think that peace will come when I get my way. You know, uh, maybe I'm in a room, and I've got an idea, and I think it's a good idea. And someone else has an idea. That is an immediate threat to me thinking that I'm awesome. And my, my job in that moment is to, I have to be sweet. I'm a pastor. I have to be sweet. I have to crush their idea. <laughs> I have to crush it. And I can do that by being smart or spiritual or, you know, saying let's pray about it and, you know, whatever. But I have to win. Because that's how we're going to find peace around here is when I get my way. You know? Families often feel like this. You know, we, I think, I imagine we all, we all do it. Every toddler thinks that way. Life will be better when I get what I want. And if I don't, I can pitch a fit in Walmart until we buy the Fruit Loops. This is how the world works. And listen, emperors aren't any better. Emperors aren't any better. They think that the world will be right when they get their way and they have oppressed and suppressed and dominated their enemies. But what gets weird is as Christians, we can take Jesus and just like the crowd did, listen, they had real problems. They were experiencing real suffering, not made up, real suffering. It's not that their problems were like, they weren't just being dramatic. Their lives were extraordinarily hard. And they expected Jesus to rescue them, but the way that they imagined being rescued, which was a bit of the problem. And Christians throughout history have taken the name of Jesus and the image of Jesus and have used him as an excuse to dominate their enemies, which is, which is the same mistake that the crowd was making there. The church has never been worse than when in the Middle Ages, when it was running countries. It lost its soul. It would execute people and torture people and sell them indulgences and try to spread Christianity with military might. I mean, like, how, how backwards and horrible, except that, like, I do it all the time in my own little ways. You know, it, it, that, that, like, on that big level, it bubbles up again and again. You know, in our country, um, last few years, it looks like this Christian nationalism thing that's coming up, you know, that says we can get our way if Christians dominate our society again if we can get the people that we need and the positions that we want so that we can make the laws and make people do what we want them to do. And look, 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 look. Yes, that's sinful and evil. But it's so easy. And even more than evil, although it is, isn't it just odd? Isn't that just weird? That we take the God of the cross, the God of the, of the cross, and we say that he wants us to dominate. I mean, man, 
There is nothing more opposed to his heart because when he shows up, he gets on the donkey. You know, and as, as he's going into town, John clearly um, wants to drive this point home. And, and when he gets uh, inside the city and, and they're talking um, in verse 23, this is, this is just the next little bit in the story. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You can picture the disciples. They're like, yes, we were waiting for the glory part. We've been, you know, like walking around barefoot, you know, poor, um, just like healing sick people. Like we're ready to get to the glory. You know, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. And anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. He must follow me. Where, follow him where? To the cross. To the cross. Now my soul is troubled. So, so look, if this is hard for you, it's hard for me. If this is hard for you, good news, it was hard for Jesus too. This was hard for Jesus. How his own heart was pulling him was hard. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. See, Jesus always ahead of us, always different than us, always rearranging our priorities in the ways that we think about the world. When he sees his enemies, he doesn't see people to dominate. He sees people to die for. When he sees his enemies, he doesn't see people to figure out how to win over. He sees people to figure out how to serve. When he gets in front of Pilate, Pilate doesn't know what to do with this guy. He's so confusing because Jesus won't even defend himself. And Pilate's like, you want me to kill this guy? He is not a threat. Jesus completely disarms the people who are opposed to him. And listen, it's not just Rome. He, Jesus is so opposed to the us versus them play of the world that both Rome and the Jewish religious leaders want to kill him. So when, when we exit the world's way of doing things, it is both the people who refuse to follow Jesus and the people who are in church every Sunday that will want to kill you. Because it rejects the whole way that the world has bought into thinking. When, when, he's, um, when the crowd is, is welcoming him in and, and they're, they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Um, and he get, by the way, we, um, the kids in the rainforest, they're getting palm branches. We used to get um, a donkey, you know, and we would have somebody put on like a beard and a wig and ride on the donkey. But the donkey died, guys. It's a dead donkey. And, and then we tried to find other donkeys. One was super expensive. There was this other person there like, we have a donkey. But there's this other animal freaks out if the donkey leaves. Apparently, it is an emotional support donkey. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. So this year, we are donkeyless. Maybe next year, we'll have Jesus back on a donkey. Anyway, sorry. Um, 
Kids are having the palm branches. And, um, and, and Hosanna, Hosanna, that comes from Psalm 118. But I think the people are maybe missing some of the, some of the heart in Psalm 118. Uh, listen to this in verse 13. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord came and helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense, and he has become my salvation. It's not, it's not about attacking them. It's about, I need to be saved, Lord. I need to be saved. Jesus, come and save me. Verse 25, Lord, save us. That is the, the word, Hosanna. Lord, save us. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine on us with bows in hand. Join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. So the image is walking in with Messiah up to the altar to sacrifice because we need salvation. Not because they need to be dominated, but because my soul has something that needs to change and at John Cassian in about um, the year 400, um, he said, we must learn to feel in each action both our weakness and the help of God. We can connect with the heart of Jesus, this donkey-riding king who will lay his life down like a seed that goes into the ground to die so that more can be born. We, we will experience him when we can get in touch with our weakness and say, in each action, I want to feel my own weakness so that I can feel the help of God. I mean, that, that is the kind of life that we're invited to. Well, we often ask, how can I get my way? He wants to ask, how can I lay my life down? Now, just leave that up for a second. What, what would this look like in your home? And the reason why I'm asking you is because I don't want to ask myself because I don't like the answers. What would this look like for you in your home to not say, how can I get my way, but how can I lay my life down? How can I serve? What would this look like for you in your work or your community? Where are you trying to get your way and seeing other people as someone to be dominated rather than someone to give your life for? What would this look like if the church across our country did this? Instead of saying, let's get our way over them, saying, where can we find people that think differently than us that we can bless with such intensity that they cannot deny the name of Jesus? Whoa, oh my gosh. Can you imagine? People would talk about Christianity totally differently, wouldn't they? Because right now, much of the narrative is totally earned, which is Christians are, are deeply hypocritical and hostile and all of that political what if we were the subversive groups of people that looked for someone whose lives were different than ours and we said, how can I lay my life down for you? Down for you. Whew. What would that be like? And see, Jesus, right, he goes to the cross and, and you can tell me that that way doesn't work. You can say, Brett, that's a wonderful sermon. It doesn't work in the real world. Okay, you look at the real world and tell me how it's going out there. And you can buy into playing that game that way. Or we can look at the cross. Who the very person who nailed Jesus to the cross and pierced his side was the first person to say, surely this man was the son of God. 
And the thief, the criminal who was dying next to him, saw his innocence and how humble he was, how he laid his life down and said, will you remember me when you enter your father's kingdom? And look, today in the Colosseum, Look, we, often we just want, we want Caesar, we just want him to think what we think, right? When Jesus hates all the same people we hate, you know, like we think we've really made some progress here. But that's not how he works. In the Colosseum where Caesar would feed Christians to lions, Caesar is someone you read about in history books. And right now over the gate that Caesar would enter, there hangs a cross. Who? Which way? Which way of seeing the world has won the day? The Pax Romana or the way of the cross? And Jesus invites us into the hard work of saying, how can I bless those who are opposed to me? How can I lay my life down? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Remember, this is how we opened our series. He says, for I am gentle, humble in heart, and will give you rest for your souls. That gets to be our testimony to a world that is deeply wounded. Come to us. We will give you rest because we are gentle, humble in heart, and will give you rest for your souls. What a beautiful way to live. We just have to go through the cross. Let's pray together. Jesus, um, we are not good at that. Everything in us is opposed to that. And forgive us when we have used your name but denied your character. Teach us to live like you, Jesus, who sees his enemy and washes their feet like he washed the feet of Judas who announces Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing who heals a dying person in the household of a Roman centurion who invites a Pharisee to become his disciple Jesus, make us like you. And the world will see heaven come to earth in those moments. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.